ever find that temptations seem to be troubling and seem to come at you from so many different ways and different directions. I have been asked to speak on Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, and in preparing for that lesson to deliver, I have gone back and studied that and realized that it has some benefit for all of us, but it also has something special for those of you who have graduated from school. And I'm going to try to uh, parallel some of that as we go through our lesson tonight. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, the children of Israel stood on the east side of the Jordan River. They had been on a journey for 40 years to the promised land. And uh, I'm not going to read all of Deuteronomy chapter uh, 8 or 1 verses 1 through 8 because there's, there's so many details. I realize that after I prepared this, I've got way too much material for one night. So there's going to be a whole lot of, uh, of moving through this quickly. But I want you to realize they're a new generation. These people were all 20 years and younger when the children of Israel camped at Kadesh Barnea and went to spy out the land. And so other than Joshua and Caleb, all of these people do not even remember Egypt because most of them were born since then. There's a whole new generation that is coming along and Moses is now going to provide for them some direction. But there's also some new opportunities now they are going to be able to go in and possess the land for themselves. They're going to enjoy the blessings of that wilderness wandering. But it's also going to provide some new challenges. Previously, during that 40-year wilderness wandering, they had been almost like in a cocoon because they had been wandering through the wilderness. No one has been around them other than the occasional enemy that would come against them. They had never had a whole lot of confrontation with pagan peoples. Many of you young people here have been reared in a good home. You've got a mama and a daddy who love you. They provided for you guidance and direction and they have tried to turn you into a good, honest productive citizen, but they're going to have to cut those apron strings loose and let you go. And that's going to be real hard. But it's also going to be real hard on you because now you're going to confront people yourself. And mom and daddy may be a phone call away, but in a real sense, this is now going to become your challenge. Well, when you get to the book of Deuteronomy and you start reading it, and particularly chapter 5, the Ten Commandments are restated. They have been given in Exodus chapter 20 when they were at Mount Sinai, but you've got a whole new generation, and so there's a whole new presentation of the law. But when you begin in chapter 6 and go through chapter 26, he begins to explain and expound and apply, if you will, the details that are found in those Ten Commandments. It's almost like this new generation is, is being told, here is God's law, here's how you apply God's law, and now you're going to go in and possess the land. Ultimately, it really boils down to two basic things that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 22, 
verses 37 through 40, and it is simply this. You love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And as Jesus said, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In the middle of all this is Deuteronomy chapter 13. What does it mean to say, you shall have no other gods before me? What does it mean to say that God is a jealous God and he visits the iniquity of the children upon the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me while he also shows loving kindness to those who love him and keep his commandments? We're going to look at four troubling temptations. The first one is going to be the enticement of the neighbors at the end of chapter 12. Then we're going to look at what was just read just a few moments ago from chapter 13 where you have the enticement of the prophets, the religious people, if you will. Then the enticement of friends and family in verses 6 through 11. And then finally, an enticement of the apostates, a multitude of them, if you will. So let's begin our study. Look with me at chapter 12. Let's look at verses 29 through 31. When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go in to dispossess, and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? I will also do likewise... You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord which he hates, they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and their daughter in the fire to the gods. Now, Israel had been sheltered from interacting with other cultures. They had not been introduced to the god Molech. They had not been introduced to Baal. They had been not introduced to all these others as they were, as again, walking through the wilderness as a nation of people. Do you realize, some of you young people, that you have not been encountering, in a very real sense, people who may hold to the Eastern religions? You may not be having encountered people who are genuinely atheistic or agnostic. Or people who actually hate those of us who hold to traditional biblical principles. But you see, curiosity could come on the part of these settlers. They're going to settle in the land. And you want to look and say, well, now how did these nations worship their God? Maybe we can learn something from them. I want you to notice it's not to worship their gods, it's to worship their gods in that way. Maybe we can pick up an idea from these pagans and how we can use them. And what Moses says is God hates what they have done to their gods and he specifically draws attention to the fact that they were burning their children in the fire as a sacrifice. Oh, you could spend a lot of time going through the Bible, looking at this practice that they had of burning their children in the fire. But God says, I detest that. I hate that. Leviticus chapter 18, verses 26 through 30, he talks about these abominations that they had committed. I want to draw your attention in the middle there to verse 28. 
He says, lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it as it vomited out the nations that were before you. God is saying, when I am allowing you to dispossess these lands, why in the world would you take up their practices that cause them to be cast out? It'll do the same thing to you. In Micah chapter 6 and verse 7, Micah is to ask the question about how a man should approach God. And he said, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Should I sacrifice my children for my sins? Oh, but that happens today. Oh, you say, oh, no, we don't burn our children in the fire. What do you think abortion is? Abortion comes because a man and a woman fornicate and a child is conceived, and rather than them bearing their own responsibility, they make the child pay the penalty for their own sin. It's easy to pick up the practices of the pagans if you're a child of God. We're going to be studying the book of Ezra and likely some of the book of Nehemiah on Sunday mornings. And when you study about the children of Israel and when they come back to the land, they picked up so much of the practices. He says, in those days I saw the Jews who had married the women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah but spoke according to the language of one or the other people. Here's what happened. They began to intermarry. They began to take up the practices of those people. And what happens is pretty soon they don't even speak the language anymore. It's easy to pick up these pagan practices. And God had said in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 9, when you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abomination of those nations. God said, don't learn from them. Let me tell you, the first temptation that you're going to face, young people, as you go to school, is there's going to be all kinds of cultures around about you, and there will be a natural curiosity, but you don't. You don't give up what you know is true and what you know is right. Now let's look at verses... 1 through 5 of chapter 13. I want to go back over some of this again. Um, Brother Garrett did a good job reading this, but he says, If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you saying, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether or not you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or dreamer of dreamings shall be put to death because he spoke in order to turn away, you turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and so forth here. 
What is he saying? Here is a religious figure. Here is a prophet. And I want you to notice there arises among you. Rises among you a prophet or dreamer of dreams. Let me tell you, young people, what's going to happen in some occasions. You're going to go off to school somewhere and you will be in search of a congregation to attend. Some of them will be likely very sound and very faithful. But you will also encounter some that are not as sound and as faithful as they ought to be. And you will begin to say, well, they begin to say things that I don't read in the Bible. Or at least they're saying things that I don't remember being taught. And then you're put in a situation, whom are you going to believe? Well, look at this case here. The prophet gives a sign. He gives a wonder. But then he goes on to say that it came to pass. And here's the question that I have. This one who performed this miracle, was it real or not? Was it faked? You might say, well, oh, it says it came to pass. Let me give you a couple of three good illustrations. You remember as Moses went before Pharaoh and told Pharaoh, God said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. And you remember that God brought a series of ten plagues through the hand of Moses and Aaron upon the Egyptians. Well, if you will read Exodus chapter 7, verse 11, it says, Pharaoh called the wise men and the sorcerers, the magicians, and they also did in like manner with their enchantments. You look at chapter 7, verse 22. The magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. Look at chapter 8, verse 7. The magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. But when you get to chapter 8, verses 18 and 19, then the magicians also worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice. But they could not. So there was lice on man and beast. Now listen carefully to verse 19. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. That means that what the magicians of Pharaoh were doing prior to this was not anything other than a fake. Is it possible that someone could tell us that God has worked some sort of a miracle and you look at it and say, well, boy, that's that's a powerful wonder. In Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, there was a certain man named Simon, previously practiced sorcery in the city, astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. But you know what Simon was? He was a trickster. Or you go to 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9, and he speaks with the coming of the lawless one according to the working of Satan with all powers and signs, listen carefully, and lying wonders. I think it's very possible that the person of Deuteronomy 13 is a charlatan, is only claiming something and faking it. Let me give you a second possible explanation. 
It's possible that he had once been a true prophet and as a true prophet had been able to work a sign and now he has gone astray. And you can say, well, I, I can't imagine that. But do you remember Paul when he met with the elders from Ephesus in Acts 20? He told them to take heed of themselves and to the flock over which the Holy Spirit had made them overseers to shepherd the church of God which he had purchased with his own blood. For I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Now listen carefully to verse 30. And from among your own selves will men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. Oh, you see, there can be people who will go astray among the number. Perhaps one of the most useful illustrations I can think of is 1 Kings chapter 13. And this will be a good one for you to mark in your Bible. This is a, a good one for you to study out on your own. Here's the background of 1 Kings chapter 13. God sends a younger prophet to Bethel to cry out against the altar of Jeroboam. God also gives him some very strict instructions. He says, I want you to take nothing while you're there. You don't eat anything. You don't drink anything. And you go out a different way than what you came in. And he came and he cried out against the altar. The king pointed his finger, was going to point at him and say, arrest that man. When he does, he brings back his hand leprous. He prays for him. The prophet does and God restores his hands. He's willing to give him anything. He said, I won't take a thing. God told me not to. When he goes on his way back home, there is an old prophet who comes to him and says, are you that prophet? Yeah, that's me. And here's what he said in verse 18. He said, I too am a prophet as you are. And the angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. He was lying to him. This older prophet came and said, God told me to tell you this. And he lied to him. Verse 20, Now it happened as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. You know what he tells him? You're going to die because you didn't listen. You didn't follow the commandments that I gave you. Are there people who will lie to you who are religious folks? You better believe it. You better believe it. And someone says, but didn't he say that the test of a prophet was whether or not his message came true? Look at Deuteronomy chapter 18. He said, if you say in your heart, how shall we know it? the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Notice the way Moses phrases this. If he makes a prophecy and it does not come to pass, you know that God has not spoken through him. But what about if a man makes a prophecy and it does come to pass? That's not under purview of Deuteronomy 18. In fact, I don't know how many of you have noticed the old tabloids that used to be in the grocery aisle and they would tell you, you know, Miss Jean Dixon has made this prophecy about this. 
And then you look and they'll say, she got four out of 22 correct. You know what I learned? Even a broken clock is right twice a day. You know, people can make enough predictions that pretty soon they're going to get something correct. Just out of the, the sheer, uh, you know, uh, randomness of it, they're going to get something correct. So in all of this, and someone says, well, why did God allow it? He said, he did it to test you. God allows this to happen. You know what he expects you to do, though? God expects you to study all of His Word and see whether or not this is consistent. Listen to the Apostle Paul as he writes to Galatians chapter 1, 6-9. through 9. I marvel that you're so soon turning away from Him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, only some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached, let him be accursed. You see, he's saying, whatever it is, if it's not consistent with what we've already preached, he said, you let him be accursed. In fact, here in this context, in verse 5, he says, you put him to death. Why? Because he's committed treason. He's saying, let's go after other gods. He's supposed to be representing the God of heaven. If he says, let's go after other gods, that's a treasonous act. You put away the evil. You stop the mouths of those who teach false. Now let's look at the third enticement in verses 6 through 11. This is really valuable here. If your brother, the son of your mother, the son of your your son or your daughter, the wife of your bosom, or your friend who is your own soul, secretly entices you, saying, let's go and serve other gods which you have not known, neither you nor your fathers. Of the gods of the people which you are all around you, near to you and far off from you, and from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, you shall not consent with him or listen to him nor shall your eye pity him, nor you shall you spare him or conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. And you shall stone him with stone till he dies, because he has sought to entice you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So all Israel shall hear and fear it not again do such wickedness among you. I'm going to tell you, our family and our friends are the closest to us on earth. I will tell you that when you're in college, you will make friends that will be friends for life. Many of you remember just about one year ago right now, my college roommate passed away and I went to Alabama to preach his service Randy was a very dear friend. When both Mark and Micah were born, Randy and Nancy came and spent time with us. A lot of fun, a lot of joy during that period of time. Always right there as as dear, dear friends. There are those who are family. When you need someone you know who you can call on. 
Let me tell you, friends and family can do you in. In 1 Kings chapter 11, Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites. God said don't marry these women. Talks about the 700 wives, princes, and concubines. And it says, they turned away his heart from the Lord. Luke 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life, he cannot be not my disciple. Do you mean it is possible that one of our family, one of our friends could say to us, hey, let's go over here. Let's check out this other religion. Let's check out these other gods. Let's see what they're doing and how they worship. He secretly entices you. Not public. What are you going to do? Are you going to say, well, he told it to me in secret. We're not going to tell anybody else what's happened. How many churches have been destroyed because the family and the friends of a church leader have been protected from the consequences of sin? And you say, oh, that that never happened. You remember 1 Corinthians chapter 5? He said, one of you had your father's wife, and he said, you should have rather mourned, but you become puffed up. You're proud of all of this. The enticement of family can be stronger than you can imagine sometimes. Now let's tidy this up. Let's go to chapter 13, look at verses 12 through 18. If you hear of someone in one of your cities which the Lord your God gives you to dwell in saying, corrupt men have gone out of the city among you and enticed the inhabitants of their city saying, let's go and serve other gods which you've not known and then you shall inquire, search out, ask diligently and if indeed it was true and certain that such abomination was committed among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of the city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it, all that is in it, and its livestock with its edge of the sword. And you shall gather together all its plunder into the middle of the street and completely burn with fire the city and its plunder for the Lord your God. It shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. So none of the accursed thing shall remain in your hand that the Lord your God may turn from the fierceness of His anger and show you mercy and have compassion on you and multiply you as He swore to your fathers. Now, I want to pause here for just a minute. You know this happened, don't you? Joshua chapter 7, Achan took of the accursed thing at Jericho. But he talks about your cities. They're going to be now established in the land. And now they've, they've got some stability. But you hear about some of your brethren and what they're doing. And he talks about corrupt men. Literally, if you're reading the King James, it's accurate. Son of Belial. Belial means vile, evil, worthless. A scoundrel. You've got a city over here that has become ungodly. Whole city has gone after that. Listen to Exodus chapter 23, verse 2. 
you shall not follow a crowd to do evil. What if everybody in the city of McMinnville votes that liquor is okay? What if everybody here decides we're not going to oppose any kind of immorality? Does that make it okay? No, it doesn't. Because our votes is not what determines right versus wrong. And God says, here's the way I feel about that city. I think the whole city ought to be destroyed. Not only should the whole city be destroyed, everything in the city, livestock, all the plunder, the possessions, brought in the middle and burned. Sometimes people say, oh, but there might be something valuable there. What about that wedge of gold, the Babylonian garment that Achan saw in Jericho? Oh, some of us sometimes want to hold on to worldly things because we see value in them. And God says you've got to make a clear, full break. Now here's the bottom line. The devil doesn't give up. He comes at us from every angle. He may be coming at you from the people with whom you are now associating. He may come at you from the religious folks. He may come at you from... um, your family, your friends. He may come at you as a crowd to do evil, but yet it's in our best interest every time to resist him. He says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I want to end with one last passage. Satan came at Jesus from three different directions. The last one, I keep thinking about what was said in all four of those enticements. All four of those enticements was, let's go after other gods. Let's go after other gods. Let's go after other gods. Listen to Satan. And again, he took him up on an exceedingly high mount and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Here's the admonition of this lesson. You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. And you turn your back on any enticement. You yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. If you need to become a Christian tonight... We want to encourage you to obey the gospel. We want to encourage you to be baptized for the remission of your sins. If you are a Christian struggling with sin and need us to pray with you, we'll be glad to do that. Would you come while we're together we stand and sing?